You're listening to TSN FC with Luke Wildman, Jason DeVos, and Christian Jack on TSN 1050 Toronto. It's TSNFC. Welcome to the first edition of 2016. Luke, Jason and KJ with you. Um, so we've got lots to cover because it's been a while since we sat in this stinky little studio doing a podcast. How was your trip to Sheffield? Uh, the Sheffield was as glorious as ever. Really? Yeah. It hasn't changed much. <laughs> Um, the highlight was going to see the mighty Sheffield United at Bramall Lane beating Bradford City by three goals to one. David Edgar scoring a goal. Um, yeah, so it was it was fine. Yeah, was I'd, okay. I'd heard there was some crowd trouble at that game. I don't know. There was nothing. You there, do know. There yeah. wasn't much in the family there, there, stand. There was, because I knew you were at the game because I saw you post a picture on social media. And I thought, oh, that's great. Luke's at the game. And Hudson's there having a good time. And then it comes out that there was racist chanting coming out from the stands. It wasn't in the family stand. And I thought, stand. hang on a second. Luke Wildman goes back home and all of a sudden all, all hell breaks loose. Yeah. It, it was... I was telling KJ, it, it was a bit of an eye-opener as to you forget just exactly what it's like going to a football game in Northern England. <laughs> um, especially because, you know, Hudson, he's four years old, he goes to watch, you know, MLS games or Raptors or whatever, and it's a, it's more of an entertaining family environment. Yeah. But as soon as you get out of the car and the first thing you see is police blocking the street because there are Bradford <laughs> fans on the other side, there's just that, there's an underlying tension to the whole thing. I remember the first time I was in England and I went to a game, I was about in 1819. And I was amazed at the police presence and police on horseback and how supporters from the away team would be shepherded down a narrow lane, a back alley yeah. away from the stadium towards the train station and where they were boarded and then, sh- you know, shoot away from the city. Uh, and I was amazed by it all. I just thought, wow, this is another world. And, and I get asked by people all the time who are Canadian, who have never been overseas, never seen a game, what it's like. And you can't really explain it because... There's a feeling there, and I and yeah. I found that when I was back in England back in October, and I went to the Arsenal Bayern Munich game. Just that sense of anticipation before the game, the lead up to it, the two hours prior, you go there, you get your you know your your program and your food or whatever, and the walk up to the stadium. It's just got an electric atmosphere to it, and it's uh, it's something that I think you really need to experience yourself to be able to understand. Well, it was a Yorkshire derby as well, and it was just after Christmas, so there were three thousand Bradford fans there, and it was interesting when uh, when Hudson was asking, so, you know, why what what are they singing about? Why are they singing <laughs> these things? What you know, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Forget. It really doesn't matter. Why did they call Billy Sharp fat? Well, I, uh, that's just one of those things that they they tend to do. So it was a different it was a different experience. But yeah, good to be back. And um, not long now until Major League Soccer preseason starts in uh, the next week. Well, that's the next couple of days, isn't it? It's been uh, it's been a qu- it's the first couple of weeks of January are always pretty quiet because you have the FA Cup, there's a bit of a lull in the Premier League action and the FA Cup comes into play and it's a different kind of atmosphere, a different kind of experience. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, you start looking, the MLS calendar comes out, the schedule's there, it gets published, you start counting down the days, we're 40-odd days to the, the start of the season and and uh, some transfer activity starts taking place. Toronto FC, Montreal, Vancouver, all very active in the transfer market to bring players in. So I think that sense of anticipation for a lot of fans is starting to build a little bit. I think we should start with MLS, but first we should just say that um, since we last did a podcast, Aston Villa have actually won one game. 
They have won a game. You have just been speaking about a League One team for about four minutes. Oh, you managed to just beat a League Two team the other night, so I wouldn't say I need a replay to beat Wickham Wanderers and fans fighting in the stands with players. Yeah, well, maybe it fired them up because they're unbeaten since. So, unbeaten, what does that mean? <laughs> that means that they haven't lost a game in three. Two, Chef, three. United, Chef United fans not sure about an unbeaten run. Is we that were unbeaten asking? in four or five before Christmas, actually. And then you beat Bradford and then you lost, didn't you? At Shrewsbury some or terrible something like that. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, anyway. But yeah, it's uh, it's been a difficult time to be a Villa fan. But, you know, we uh, remain positive. I was, on, I was on with Noel Butler this week, actually, in, in Montreal. And he asked me, uh, are, are Villa doomed? And I couldn't completely uh, Is cover... Is that supposed to be a Noel Butler accent? Uh, no, no, it wasn't. Oh. No, um, maybe I, my voice just went up. No, I'm not, I don't do accents. But, um, or impressions. Yeah, I just I couldn't completely tell him that they were, just because... Of course they are. My answer to them... Well, you you would say that, because you, you you just can't wait to be in the studio with me the day they get relegated. Exactly. Um, but maybe it'll be not on our network that day, so... Um, <laughs> My answer was I just think that what the the one thing that stays in my I know we're going to talk about MLS, but you wanted to bring up Villa to rub it in my nose, yeah. so I'll just yeah. answer the question. That there is um, an incredible amount of rubbish in the Premier League this year, and so if there's ever going to be a year where a team could get out of uh, jail, so to speak, it, it might be this year because there is some really really bad teams, and I think the overall quality. I wrote this week on TSN. That's the I think the overall quality has been down uh, a lot as well. Why? Why? Yeah. Um, well, I think that it's great that there's parity. It's great that it's competitive and it's been become very unpredictable. But I think the quality of the top teams have, has obviously been been hindered by you know bad recruitment. Uh, Chelsea, for one, have obviously had a massive dip that nobody ever imagined it would be. What are they one point above Bournemouth right now uh, in the Premier League? Twenty two games in. Uh, I think that you know Manchester City again. We're going through a cycle where they've they're probably going to be renewing a whole new era under Pep Guardiola. They're in a transitional phase. Manchester United are in a transitional phase, and you could probably blanket all of them with being bad recruitments uh, as well. So you know, and that's one of the reasons why Leicester are still flying and, and battling for, for with Arsenal and, and Manchester City for the title. It's down to three, uh, and maybe it's two and a half because I think we don't. Not everyone's willing to just put Leicester right in there. You know what uh, the EPL needs then, if you think the quality is going? needs some targeted allocation money. <laughs> we had if to bring the, that up at some point. If the EPL had some targeted allocation money and a few drafts, then they'd be okay, wouldn't they? I don't know where to start with this nonsense. Well, go on then. Be, I mean, I'll let Jason start then. No, I mean, you guys go ahead. Uh, you know, yeah. Targeted allocation money. It, it, in, in my opinion, whatever makes the league better is a good thing. So even if it's a little bit misty or murky or nobody quite knows what's happening or targeted allocation money flies around in the sky from club to club and people bend the rules and suddenly have what might be a $17 no, million. Team, dollar. teams don't bend the rules, Luke. It doesn't Come matter, on. It doesn't matter. Everyone me, plays by the book. To me, it doesn't matter as long as the standard gets better. Yeah, I, listen, I partly agree with that. I do think that in order to take the league forward you need to increase the caliber of play on the field you do that by signing better players better players cost more money hence the salary cap needs to go up so any mechanism that can allow that to happen i think is a good thing however it's all very complex and you know there's all sorts of blurriness around the edges of of a lot of these deals and and uh, I haven't yet had a chance to go through the numbers, but I had a quick look at uh, TFC's roster very recently, and just the numbers from last year alone. And 
these are published by the players uh, agency so the the players union themselves publish these numbers and we know from conversations with gms managers around the league that um, those numbers are a little bit fuzzy in, in the sense that not every team reports uh, or or not all of those numbers are accurate is i think is a good way to put it they're not all consistent are they no they're not not every team follows the same protocol no they don't so uh, agents fees is a great example so some teams include the agents fees in the disclosure of the numbers and other teams do not so um, but i had a look at tfc's salary cap situation and i have no idea how they're going to be cap compliant I have no idea. They're gonna. They're That's going. That's not your problem. No, it isn't. Ultimately, but, no, it, it isn't. But it. But it, it's not my problem. As long as they but are. But it's then... something that I. F- that that I'm quite interested in as an analyst of the league to yeah. assess the business that they have done in the off season, which I think has actually been quite good. I think they've made some good signings. I like Stephen Betashore. I like Drew Moore. I think that that's going to uh, help strengthen their back line. Um, I like the fact they got rid of Ahmed Kantari because he clearly wasn't working. He was being paid a lot of money and doing a very poor job. Um, so that was a good decision. Um, I like the signing of Will Johnson. I've always been a fan of Will Johnson. I think he's a good player. I think he'll be a real asset to TFC. But like a lot of people around the league, analysts who, who study the league, I want to know what these guys are making, and I want to know how TFC are being are able to do this and get under the salary cap, because I don't think they are. And Tim Bezbachenko has come out in the press and said, well, we have until March to be cap compliant, and, and we will make sure that we, we are at that stage. But I look at just the numbers from last year, and I've got a pretty good idea from conversations I've had with people around the league what some of these new signings are making. And you look at the back four alone, that's a million dollars plus on your on your salary cap. Because you look at the deals that those players had last year, they've gone up uh, by signing with with Toronto FC. They've signed new contracts, and uh, and Drew Moore and Stephen Betashore, uh, I'm sure, are in for a uh, sizable rise in, in pay. Um, Damien Perkis is on a big ticket. Uh, Justin Morrow just signed a new long term deal. That's going to increase as well. So that's a million dollars on your back four. You've then got what's the best part of 1.3 million on your three designated players that are coming off your cap. So seven players and your 2.3 million in. And they've still got a lot of players to sign and, and have under contract to get under that cap. So I'm going to be really interested to, to follow that because I don't think that you can really assess how well a team has been constructed until you can tie the salary to the players. Because I think in MLS, one of the big things, KJ, is all about getting value for dollars yeah. and getting players that are that are almost overperforming for the amount of money they're being paid. And I think one of the things when you look at specifically at Toronto FC is that they have done the opposite. They've overpaid for players who have underperformed. And I hope that changes, and I hope that changes this season for the fans especially. Uh, but it, I'm, I'm looking at that salary and, and that squad, and I think that's a very expensively assembled squad. Yeah, it's a very different league to what any other leagues around the world because of the word salary cap. And in many ways, it's much more like the North American model with, you know, when you look at NHL, NBA, and, and NFL, and that's how you value players. So you can it's easy to say um, right away with a sweeping statement, Toronto FC have won the winter. They've had an amazing winter because they've signed all these players. Um, but that's not the case in the salary cap world. You've, got, they, to, you've they, got to look at it they and were say, anointed, is it worth it? They were anointed last year they as were. they won the, the offseason. They were, and we need to be you know, very, very careful about that. I think the bigger question is, is in the salary cap world, if it is everything is fair, um, you know, is it 
good value to put the money that you said on the back four? <laughs> is it good value to spend that amount of money on fullbacks? Um, but to Luke's point, I don't think many fans care anymore. No. Uh, because... And this is what, this is the answer that the league want to hear. They they don't want fans to care because it's very very difficult for an average fan to smart fan to you know obsessed fan to judge it for yourself. You cannot have a spreadsheet at home because we no longer know. Now they bring in this TAM and it makes the third element of the thing where we can't predict it ourselves. It's like some hidden cult in a, in an office that is deciding all of this stuff. <laughs> and it's in many ways it's frustrating for me because I think it's time to treat the media and in particular the fans smarter. Let them be smart and judge the player the way they are, but we can't judge it because uh, many things are hidden from us and fans want to tr- they want to add analyze people based on value they want to say Wayne Rooney isn't worth the money that he's getting paid because of he's getting paid this so he needs his expectation level goes up and we can't it's very difficult to do that in this league 20 years in in many ways that's why if it wants to be considered a major league it needs to start taking off the training wheels it doesn't help when the commissioner comes out and says well people don't understand our rules is too complex for for you you know you people and I, and i think that's an insult to the media and an insult to the fans they don't and, want, I, and they, I, they don't want you to understand and that. I, but i agree with you i think if the league wants to elevate itself to being in the discussion for one of the top leagues in the world it has to be transparent about its rules and regulations and it's not see i don't think most fans really care and i think if you're a tfc fan you look at them in the off-season, and you don't care how much they've spent. It's not your problem getting under the salary cap. You look at what was a terrible back line last year, and you think with Clint Irwin, Stephen Betashaw, um, Drew Moore, Damian Pekis, Justin Morrow, is that better than what they had? Yes? Okay, I'm good. I don't care how they do it. I really, like, however much money it is they have to spend on these people to get them in, as long as somebody else's problem, get it under the salary cap, then that's fine. And I agree with everything you said. The only issue you have with it is when it doesn't go well. Because if you have all this money, and I've said it before, the easiest thing to do at anything is to throw money at it. If you have all this yeah. money, then you are not held accountable for your actions. So if you have all this money and then say they are not necessarily playing by the rules that some other clubs are not playing by, and they've, they're on the very high end, they are now a powerhouse in Major League Soccer in every way apart from when they kick a ball on the field. In every way, yeah. financially, ownership, commitment, everything, apart from when they kick a ball. They are still a team who's only qualified once by the skin of their teeth, sixth place in the Eastern Conference. They never look like com- being a, a, a consistent MLS playoff team all the way through. So now the time is for the expectation levels to be raised higher. Now, if you want to be spending the biggest money, then you make sure you get it right. So yeah. that's why people need to be held accountable more often. Like, like with Kantari. Correct. They signed him last year to fix a problem. It didn't fix the problem. Six months later, money solves the problem by... Correct. And the the, the same people who went out and were asked to get um, Ahmed Kantari are still there. Now, that might be okay, but when you go back and you read the quotes from the people who who anointed the signing of Ahmed Kantari... He wasn't the player that they said he was in those quotes. So now we're reading the quotes of the same people on the players that we're now signing now, and very difficult to, to know whether they're completely true because we, you, you put this money to Ahmed Kantari, some of the other players that they signed last year that's still around, that still the jury remains out. Look, the club needs to needs to kick on. And in MLS, 
there's a lot of parity. It's very difficult to be a dominant force. But I don't think that it's wrong to have this team now labelled as a, as a superpower and go out there and be top two all season and go out there and command and dominate games and don't give up half a field at home and play a counter-attacking style because that's how you think the team wins. Control the ball, go out there, win far more games than you than, than you have in the past and become the dominant force that the coffers and the financial MLSC have put into it state that you should do. The difference for me, Jason, I think this year is that they have signed players who we do know about. We didn't know a lot about Ahmed Kantari. He didn't know much about Major League Soccer. They've brought in players who have not only played in this league, but have won MLS Cups, won Supporters Shields. Um, and, and also importantly for me, when you look at Will Johnson thrown in as well, players who want to be here Know, know what everything's about, but are good leaders, good yeah. characters within that locker room, no, which I is agree. something that's been lacking in the past. I, I, I agree. I, I think they've, they've, they've brought in proven commodities as opposed to taking a flyer at yeah. a lot on a lot of money and, and brought somebody in that knows nothing about the league. And, and um, to go back to the earlier point about fans don't care about how much it costs to assemble a squad, I agree with that, but I think fans should care because having money doesn't mean you're good at what you do. And you only have to look at the amount of money they spent on salary last year. $22.8 million. TFC's wage bill. $22.8 million. In a league where the salary cap is 3.66, whatever, and change it is this year. The Columbus crew who made the final, $4.9 million. Portland Timbers, who won MLS Cup, $5.3 million. You don't have to spend ridiculous amounts of money to assemble a squad. And because it is a salary cap league, the performance of the management team, including the GM, the president, the coach, the coaching staff, has to be judged against two things. One, the first and foremost, is results on the field. And I think there are still big question marks about whether this team is going to get results in the field under Greg Vanny and his coaching staff. And two is, how effectively have they used that salary cap? Because you don't have to spend ridiculous amounts of money to be able to be successful in MLS. It's been proven. Portland Timbers, $5.3 million, won MLS Cup last year. And, and, and you could argue and make a very strong case that they're a much better balanced side than Toronto FC are. And I think that's where the, the league would do itself a world of good if it was transparent about its rules and regulations so that the fans, more than anyone, could get an understanding and, and make an objective decision about their club and the club they're supporting. Two things for me, and the, the one point from each of you to, to play off. Your point, I think, is a great one, Luke. And I think that when you look at winners and you look at Portland and you look at, and it's not just in Major League Soccer, across North America, there's a value added to those players who know how to get it done, who've been there before and can get through it and not necessarily have won MLS Cup, even though they've got a couple, um, but have, have, have got there and... And, and gone through the grind of a season and can know and and and, the, and they know what it takes and it becomes their league of choice and I know that's a phrase that the MLS uses but it, it, in this way it's very important because too too often in the past Toronto FC didn't have enough of those players but to Jason's point he used the word balance that's the next step it's easy to go out and say yeah you know what we're going to throw all these players on the wall he's great let's sign him how are they going to play how are they going to play because still they look unbalanced. Still, I don't know where the width's going to come from. Can Altador and Javinko play up front together? Are they now going to go to a three? Who's going to play midfield with Bradley and Johnson and Sheru? Are they going to have a fight, find a holder? Are those three going to work? Maybe they've got the back five 
sorted out right now. But for me, and I still think this is more than fair, the expectation level for me now is they need to start becoming a superpower in the Eastern Conference, a very weak conference compared to the other one. And if they need to do that, they need to find that balance. And I want to see them go out and dominate games consistently. They should win the Eastern Conference. With the with the amount of money they've spent, the players that they've brought in, they should win the Eastern Conference. And they should do so pretty comfortably as well. Um, I'm working on a piece right now for the website about every MLS club and what are their options tactically given the squads that they currently have. And it's a work in progress because there's still a lot of moving pieces. And we've talked enough about Toronto FC to move on now, I think, to, to the Montreal Impact and, and then the Vancouver Whitecaps. But the big question about the Montreal Impact is, is Didier Drogba going to be back? And I think that their entire preparation hinges on that. If he's back, fantastic. They can build around him because he's still going to score goals in this league. He was magnificent last year in the uh, the four or five odd months that he was here. Um, just a revelation, both in terms of production on the field and his leadership role within the club. But if they lose him now... I mean, they must be scrambling to try and find a replacement and, and somebody that can come in and have an equal effect. And I don't know that they'll be able to find somebody. Do you think he's I gone? think he's gone. I, I, I think he's done. I think, you know, the the opportunity to go back to a club where he is considered a god and revered uh, and to make that transition to being a coach or an ambassador, I, I, I don't think that playing another year in MLS is, is going to you know be the, the difference maker. It's going to be whether he feels this is the right time to call time on his playing career. And you know, in many respects, it couldn't be under under better conditions. Chelsea are having the, the worst season uh, in recent memory, and there's only one way that they can go, and that's up. And he can be a part of that and help revitalize a club that he loves so much. So uh, in many respects, I can see the appeal for Didier Drogba to walk away and call time on his playing career. But uh, it's a question that needs to be answered from all parties, and, and the sooner the better, in my opinion, because it's compromising Montreal Impact's preparation. It is, and I agree with you, but I, and I, I do think that... The point, and it's not just you, as a lot of people have said this over on social media over the last few weeks, if he doesn't come back, their season is is a mess, has been exaggerated. I think that you have to remember the length of the season. Who plays up front for them? But just give me a second. But when did, this time last year, when we evaluated Montreal, we didn't evaluate them thinking Didier Drogba was coming. They had no interest in, think, in thinking he can get Didier Drogba. And Didier Drogba came in the summer, went on a tear, scored 12 goals in 12 games, and they finished third. So if you think that, okay, is going to be a massive problem. Of course, take Drogba out of that team. They are not the same team. But if he doesn't come and they take two or three months and then the European transfer window opens up and I'm just throwing a name out there, they throw the money that they would have given Didier Drogba to Fernando Torres or to Robin Van Persie. Then if they're willing to do that from ownership, of course they could go go ahead and be as successful as they were last year. There's a foundation to that club, as we saw in the playoffs, that isn't just built around one player. That's the way that the sport is built in the first place. Of course, they're a far better side with Didier Drogba in it. But the Eastern Conference is, as I said earlier, it's, it's... and the MLS is built towards a building towards the end of the season. You can get through two or three months and still have a chance of making the playoffs. They're not going to lose 10 games in a row to start the year without Drogba. It just isn't going to happen. They've got a good, good enough base there to, to win games in MLS. I just think that it, without him, of course, they, they, they want him back. But I do think that they could go on and become a playoff team if, if he doesn't sign at the start, if they haven't signed in replacement at the start of the season. I, I, no, I agree with you. I do think that. Um they can go on and have success in the Eastern Conference, even if Drogba leaves. But I mean, it's not ideal. His training camp opens next week, and he's not, you know, one way or the other indicated whether he's going to be here or not. I, I, from from my perspective as a, you know, as a someone who's trying to 
be as unbiased as possible, having played for them on Charlie Impact. If I was a fan, I would look at that and go, I, I, I really want to know. I want, I want to know one way or the other. Well, my concern would be not even so much that can they compete on the pitch or not. It's that every game after Didier Drogba arrived was sold out at Stade Saputo and there was a real buzz around Montreal Impact in the city of Montreal and around the league as well. And that's something that hasn't been there since the season they joined Major League Soccer, apart from the big nights at the Big O in the Champions League. Um, Record numbers tuned into that Montreal TFC playoff game. Big numbers on RDS watching in French. And that's not just because it was Montreal TFC. It's because of Drogba and what he did between August and October, the end of the season. So I think more than on the pitch, my concern would be how much this sets back Montreal impact off the pitch if Didier Drogba doesn't return this season. There's no doubt that his arrival was a coup from a marketing perspective, without a shadow of a doubt, because they were struggling in that market in many respects to attract fans on a consistent basis. And Drogba changed all that. Yeah. And I think it shows you the value of a designated player in Major League Soccer. The right where, one. The right one, exactly. Yeah. And, and there's plenty of clubs that have made the, the wrong decisions on designated players, but I think the Montreal Impact deserve a lot of credit for getting it right with Drogba. Um, the other... The other talking point I suppose many have uh, have been mulling about is the legacy of Drogba what's his legacy going to be I mean I I think six months not even of of time in a league is not enough to leave a legacy per se but I do think that he's maybe opened the the eyes of many other European players uh, in particular um, who speak French who are looking at MLS as an option and have opened their eyes to what Montreal can be for them and how successful they can be in that market and how um, how much of a transition, however it, however difficult it is to transition to MLS and all the rigors, the travel, the geography, the, the altitude, the heat, what have you not. But when you're going from a European culture to Montreal, it's probably the, the most familiar culture uh, in the league for a European player to assimilate into. And I think that that's something that might allow the Montreal Impact to perhaps attract the next Didier Drogba or a next big name signing that might be, you know, a little bit hesitant about coming to Major League Soccer. Yeah, I think they're all great points. I also think that someone like Drogba, who, let's be honest, over the last 15 years is probably one of the greatest strikers in the game, but in the last couple of years has been in serious, serious decline. Someone like Drogba who come over into Major League Soccer and expose MLS the way that he exposed it, is, a, is bound to raise eyebrows across Europe. Because if Didier Drogba, at 37 years old, can come over to Major League Soccer and do what he did at his stage of his career, someone in their prime who would be attracted to come over and get paid seven, eight million, um, I'm not saying their prime in Europe, I'm talking about, the, you know, in the prime for MLS, you know, someone three or four years less than that, my goodness, what what could they do? You know, and I, and I there's the gap between what we see in the Premier League compared to Major League Soccer is is an, is big, but I just think that it is bigger than some people realize. And when you see Drogba, who, quite frankly, was finished at Chelsea in the final year when they won the Premier League, served a purpose but played very minimal minutes, um, to come over and dominate and boss, I think it, it just exposes. I don't think there's great defend, defend, defenses in Major League Soccer anyway, but it just exposes that gap a little bit wider for me. I think both Andrea Pirlo and Sebastian Jovinko addressed that this week in, in the MLS Media Day in, in Los Angeles, which um, some interesting quotes there. And I completely agree with both of them that you know the league is uh, big on athleticism and big on athletes and not so high on tactics and not so high on defending. 
And Javinko himself confirmed, look, it's great for attacking players because you're playing against players who are tactically naive and you get more chances, you get more goal scoring opportunities. And he exploited that. I mean, you talk about Drogba, you know, one of the greats of the last 15 years from a striking perspective, who's at the end of his career, comes to MLS, lights it up. Well, Javinko was at a a big club in in Europe, in, in Juventus, but not a regular and not a, you know, first choice starting 11 player. Came to MLS and exploded and improved everyone that he can play at a, at a very high level and expose those defenses. So, from a, an entertainment neutrals perspective, I think it's great. Um, but from a perspective of somebody who appreciates fine defending, it's it's obviously got a ways to go. Do you like what the Whitecaps have done? I do. I, I really do. Um, you know, I, it's all about having options, I think. And I'm going to be really fascinated to watch the evolution of the Whitecaps this year because I can see them changing their approach to games. You know, the 4-2-3-1 formation that uh, has become synonymous under Carl Robinson's time there, Matthias Laba, Gershon Kofi, or Russell Tybert as the two defensive midfielders, I think we're going to see uh, an enhancement to that this year. I think you're going to see times when the Whitecaps play with just one defensive midfielder in front of the back four, and the players that the Whitecaps have signed have given Robinson more options offensively. So uh, Kudo up top can play as a second striker. He can play out wide. Uh, he can play as a lone striker in place of Octavio Rivero if he's not pulling uh, pulling the shift in. Um, you've got Christian Bolaños who can play out wide but can also play in a more central area alongside Pedro Morales. Um, I can see the Whitecaps playing a, a modified 4-3-3. Uh, that's you know for me if I was looking at the players they have on their on their books at the moment that's what I would be leaning most towards with Laba as the uh, as the deep lying midfielder in a three with Bolaños and Morales as your two attacking central midfielders you've got Mane on one side Tachera on the other side and Rivero up top with Kudo who can spell him at any point in time or even the two wide players um, you know the back four. I think the two center backs picked themselves based on last season, Watts, uh, Waston and Parker, uh, who had a, a fantastic year as a rookie. Osted, obviously, in, in, in goal. And then at fullback, um, a battle again between Sam Atacubi and Jordan Harvey for that left-back slot, and uh, a player to be named later is going to come in at right back. So um, I, I think that starting 11 is going to cause some damage in MLS. Yeah, I agree with all that. I think that and we've been talking about it for a while on this platform and obviously they know their team more than we ever did and maybe now is the time to to go forward and after they've they've put some footing in and they've accomplished what they've accomplished last season to maybe have um we're always talking weren't we about that extra fifth player to you know join in in the attack yeah and it's it was always a deep lying midfielder yeah. beside Matias Labra right. and and we talked about this countless times KJ you and I that that person needs to go forward more and neither yeah. Tybert nor Kofi really did that no. so why did they have him there and I think the signing of Bolaños can really mitigate that yeah. because now you've got a player that can play in a more attacking role I agree with that too I just worry a little bit about expectations in Vancouver I mean we've just spent the bulk of this show talking about the other two teams and what Drogba did to Montreal, what TFC have done with Javinko, they don't have that player. Now, you know, that's ownership's decision, and they overachieved last year in, an, in a phenomenal conference. So where do you go now? Where, what's the next? And if fans expect improvement from last year in terms of points and position, I think that's unrealistic. Um, and I think that fans need to realize that because they don't have that 
all-star, magnificent $7 million striker who can win them games out of nothing, which is probably what they missed the most in the playoffs when the goals dried up. I think, as I said earlier, in a league where, quite frankly, defensively is quite collectively poor for me, what they've done and what they've accomplished is really one one of the reasons why for their success. You know the the base of how di- you know difficult they were to break down. So next, after achieving what they've achieved last year, but not scoring enough goals, the next is to find the balance between the two. And as they do that, I think there's going to be some growing pains. I think there's going to be a transitional time there a little bit as well. And you know, look, do I expect them to be a, a playoff team this year? I do. But I think that as they go through this whole pr- transition of shape and, and expectations. And without having that striker, if Rivero can turn into that, what he looked like at the start of the season, then okay. But I'm not quite sure that he can, so we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, Kudo's arrival is going to be an interesting one to see if it gets more out of Rivero, if it pushes him. Because last year, let's be honest, he was the only real choice as a number nine. Yeah, he knew he was going to get picked no matter what happened. Exactly. So, so, you know, when your form drops and you know there's nobody else that's going to take your job, there's a little bit of comfort zone comes into play. And I think that's an issue that every player needs to to deal with. But He's also not the first player to come in from abroad and dip off halfway through his first season in Major League Soccer. No, that's true. And he comes back in knowing... What he's but in he, for. He got off to such a great start, yeah. and everyone looked at it, you know, he and, did. and uh, the Rivero <laughs> goal call. I mean, it, it, it was synonymous with. I mean, you had it as your ringtone at one point. Oh, yeah, um, that's exactly. <laughs> yeah. I did. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I, I think you know a full preseason and you know a, a year under his belt, knowing what the league's all about, will certainly help him. Um, one thing that I would, I, I've always been a big believer of just telling the truth. If you're a club, don't lie to your fans. Just be honest. And and I say this to managers when they when they when they first start out. Just be honest. Tell the truth. If you don't play well, tell the press. You know what we didn't play well. And and you don't throw your players under the bus. But you're honest because when you're honest, you don't ever have to worry about what you maybe had made up in the past or what lie you told, and you have to cover for another one. And you know when you talk about the Whitecaps and you look at the squad that they've built. And you mentioned it, KJ, about, you know, do they have a $7 million a year player, a Javinko, a Drogba, somebody that can come, a Robbie Keane that can come in and you know is going to get 15 to 20 goals guaranteed every year in this league or more. They don't have that. And the question's been asked many times of the of the leadership group there, the executive team, are you guys looking? Are you going to add? And they're always very coy about, well, yeah, we're looking, you know, and for me, if I was a Whitecaps fan, I'd want to know the truth one way or the other. Either you're looking or you're not looking. And if you're not looking, then just tell us and just say, you know what? We're happy with what we have right now. Yeah, if something great comes along in the transfer market, we'll look at it. But right now, we're not actively looking to bring in a big name designated player. Because I think a lot of fans out in Vancouver are looking at that and going, when is that player coming? And if the money's not there and they don't want to spend that money, they don't want to do what TFC have done and spend $22 million a year on or more on, Which, on players. as you said, you don't need to. You don't need to. If that's if, your if, philosophy. If that's your club philosophy, then just say so. Just tell the fans, hey, we don't believe in that. You know, if a Fernando Torres lands on our doorstep and we can get him for $5 million a year, hey, we're going to go and get him. But right now, we're not actively looking for that. I think the fans would go, okay, fair enough. I, get, I, I accept that. Because... There's nothing worse than than you know building up that anticipation of oh maybe we're going to get somebody maybe we're going to get a Robbie Keane or a Didier Drogba or a Sebastian Javinko or somebody's going to score 25 goals a year 
and then it doesn't happen. Because then what, what ends up happening is that disappointment then transfers to the current group. Well, why isn't Rivero scoring 25 goals a year? He's a designated player. Well, he's not Didier Drogba. I'm sorry, he isn't. He's not Sebastian Javinko. He's just not that player. And in many respects in MLS, you get what you pay for. So, you know, the, the, if the club is unwilling to spend that kind of money on a player, I think they should tell the fans that. And the fans don't have that disappointment to deal with. Yeah, exactly. And the one thing they do have going for them is that they have recruited superbly. Absolutely. And that's the one thing that the Whitecaps fans can look at. I can understand their frustration if they uh, they see the other teams going out there. And, and we have to use this example because it's a perfect one. They had a very good right back who they wanted to retain and they wanted him back. And Whitecaps fans wanted him back and they lost him to a rival because that rival is willing to pay him the money under the same salary cap rules that the Whitecaps are playing. These teams are in the same same sport, yep. same league. Um, the Whitecaps weren't willing to go there, uh, so TFC were. So obviously they were aware that the financial constraints that that ownership group is. I've never been one to tell an ownership group they should spend money. If they don't believe that they can spend that and they're, they are, they're not bleeding money or whatever it comes down to. But they have recruited superbly. And this current group who've recruited... Chera, Waston, found obviously straight away got Labber from TFC when they knew they could get him. Morales, there's so many others, and drafted really well. Mane, obviously, you know, Parker, Osted. It, is, it goes on and on. That is where you get your value and the bang for the book. Is, it, it, these guys, let's be honest, a lot of them, there's a reason why they got new contracts is because they were outperforming their, their, their cap hit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as part of my pro license, I did a, a, a club visit to the White Caps last year and, and I, I was very impressed by what I saw. I mean, you got a chance to see you know, behind the scenes of setup, the administration of the club, the technical department, what they have there is first class in so many areas. And I've got nothing but admiration for the job that they're doing out there. I just think that, you know, if you look at it from a fan's perspective, the fan always wants what they don't have. And they always envy other clubs. Oh, why don't we have a Darlington Nagby? We could have had Darlington Nagby. We could have drafted him, but we didn't. And he didn't want to come here and this and that, whatever. And, oh, look, he won MLS Cup with Portland. Oh, you know, shake the hands of fury at, at them in, in anger of that rivalry. But, uh, you know, I think when you're honest with your fan base about what you are and who you are and what you're trying to do and how you're going to go about it, I think the fans will get on board with that because it's not a, it's not a case of ever saying, oh, well, we want... Um, you know, we have a, a budget to buy a Honda Accord, but we really want to drive a, a Ferrari, you know, so we're going to look, we're going to keep looking. And if a Ferrari comes along that we really like, we're going to get it, even though we can only afford a Honda Accord. There's nothing wrong with a Honda Accord. And if that's what you are, then be happy with that and accept that and still be competitive. And to your point, KJ, earlier, the expectations then have to be uh, measured accordingly because I think it's going to be really difficult for the Whitecaps to improve on what they did last year because I thought they had a fantastic season to go one better finish second finish first in the Western Conference which is hands down a more difficult conference I think than the, than the Eastern Conference uh, is going to be really really tough for the Whitecaps who's going to win the Premier League uh, I mean it's a two horse race I think between Arsenal and Man City um, I love what Leicester have done but I think uh, the next six weeks are really going to be a tough, tough, um, a tough time for for Leicester fans because this the schedule hasn't been kind to them and they've got some really difficult games coming up. And it was always a case of, you know, if they get on a little bit of a run, they don't pick up results. All of a sudden, the wheels come off a little bit and they're going to drop a little bit. I don't think they have enough to go the distance to win the league, but I do think that Arsenal and Man City both have enough to, to go the distance and win the league. 
I hope it's Arsenal, just so that KJ can go to the Emirates next time he's in London and have his picture taken with the Arsene Wenger statue. You know what? I'd love that. I, I And I mean it. You guys are on me all the time, but... You wanted him gone a long time ago. He, and he should have gone, because at that point, you know, he never was able to take the, fo- the football club to the level that they deserve, they deserve to be. Um, but doesn't mean that I can stay consistent on the on the point. Like, things change. You know, things happen. We get new evidence in front of our eyes regularly. And he's done a phenomenal job with them this season. And for me, they're the favourites. But if you don't win it this year, you might not win it again under Wenger. This is the time. This is the time. You're not facing Chelsea anymore with their amount of money that they've thrown at Manchester United are a mess, and a comical mess, okay? And, and Arsenal fans can laugh at them because they're not getting close to fixing it. They're at Manchester City... If you think that they're going to play like this next season under Pep Guardiola, then you shake your head because you're wrong. They're going to get it sorted out. But they're right now so inconsistent with the way the back lines... Forget company. People can talk about they're not the same without company. They weren't great with him anyway. He's very overrated. He's a good defender. So this is the year. And their back four doesn't get anywhere near the amount of credit. He has got that back four organized. They're fit. They're healthy. They've played so many more games together this year. Koscielny is the best centre-back in the Premier League. Keep Urzel fit. He could be, he'll be player of the year. Giroud's banging in the goals. They've, they keep winning even when Coquelin and Cazorla, a key midfield partnership, have been injured. Ramsey's come in, flying, scoring goals. They get points even like they did at Stoke on the weekend where they didn't play well. That's what champions are made of. So I hope they win it. I really do because I think it'd be great for them. Are Manchester United really that much of a mess? Oh, of course they are. They're miles away from what they should be. Miles well, not away. not in terms of points. Well, what do you mean points? They're not too okay. far. All right, well, this goes back to my point again. This is I'm glad you brought that up because if Arsenal win the league this year, it's a great achievement, but they've won the league this year. This team would not have won the league three years ago. But no one this, cares about that no, it if does. you're an Arsenal no, no, fan. Hold on a minute. You're, it, no, they don't care if you're an Arsenal fan, but you're asking me about whether Manchester United are a mess and your measure of judgment was, well, they're not that far away. Yeah. Well, they're not that far away from the top of the Premier League, but what is that? What is that? They are miles away from what they should be. This is a football club within the last eight years that have been to two Champions League finals. This is Manchester United, who are going to get announced to be the richest fo- one of the richest football clubs in world football. They haven't got a world-class player who can play outside of the goal. They haven't got one. who's at a world-class level right now. Well, they got Rooney. The, he's not a world-class player. <laughs> they, they, they played on the weekend. They, they, played on, they played on the weekend at Anfield, okay, in a game that was built to be a superpower English yeah, Premier League heavyweight. It was garbage. It was pathetic, okay? A rubbish game of football. Liverpool, got, they're, they got, they're in worse mess than Manchester United, but they don't have the resources that Man United do. They've got a long way behind. Man United, as we get back to our point about TFC, their expectations, the way that we judge them, deserve to be higher. The amount of money they, they, that they throw at this. So, yes, this is the time for Arsenal to do it. And, yeah, I do think United are a mess. They're miles away. Do you agree with that, Chase? Spurs have a better chance of winning the Premier League than Man United do. I like Spurs. I like what they've done. I like what Pochettino's done there. He's integrated young players. He's developed players through the academy, although Tim Sherwood has taken credit for all that. <laughs> um, but he's brought players in. He's, uh, you know, projected the future and, and signed Deli Ali and brought him in and brought him through the ranks. And, and uh, it's been it's been very refreshing. Guys like Harry Kane, Ryan Mason, Eric Dyer, um, they've been they've been excellent. Toby Alderweireld has been center back of the year for me, team of the year, magnificent this year. He's been wonderful, a joy to watch. And and how many times have you ever said in the last I don't know twenty years that Spurs are a joy to watch? You yeah. just listed some players there. I'm just thinking about in July when England. we're sitting in the studio Come when England, on, England are lifting the Euros. <laughs> well, you you've actually made that prediction already. You said England's going to win it. 
I was probably just talking nonsense. No, I've got it. I've got it. It's, it's in the book. It's going in the book. Oh, yeah. Stuff that Luke says. And we should, just as we wrap up, thank <laughs> you, by the way, for uh, reading out of that book at KJ's Charity Night, <laughs> which was fantastic at uh, Opera Bob's just before uh, Christmas there. Um, my mother-in-law wasn't particularly happy with some of the comments that you made in front of I the people I didn't make there. any comments. All and, I did uh, was repeat the words that you said to me. So if anyone's in the doghouse with your mother-in-law, it should be I you. I am anyway. You're just there as well. <laughs> wow. Like so. how I used the word doghouse because of the story? <laughs> Uh, he's not that clever. He didn't think that. He didn't think that one through. Um, anything else before we wrap up? That was Penelope these days. Anyways, she, does she still have the same problem she still had before? Has the same problem, really. But it's a conundrum for you, really, isn't it? I'm though? not going there. Anything it is. Else you got I mean, it's KJ? great because you don't have to use you know, any, if any bags listen, to wipe up or any of that stuff. KJ, have you got anything else? No, nope, shake of the head. I think that's just about it for this week. Uh, we'll see you again sometime in the Hopefully next. Hopefully soon. Sometime in the next few weeks for TSNFC.